Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Yancey McKnight, head football strength coach for the University of Texas Longhorn, hosted by Justin Schwinn. All right, welcome to the Coaches Collective. Uh, today we have uh, coaches of all, Yancey McKnight, uh, University of Texas uh, football strength and conditioning coach, uh, Justin Schwind, I'm the human performance advisor, also KBR contractor with the 58 style, and we have Darius Dupree, uh, head strength coach, uh, also a KBR contractor with the 58 style. Um, other than that, Yancey McKnight in two and a half minutes. Uh, okay. Um, when I finished playing, um, um, let's see, I finished at Missouri Southern, uh, 95. Um, I went straight to uh, a company, a private company called the Adams Course um, with uh, one of my best friends I played with in college, Gino Pierce, who now runs performance course in, Dow- well, in Texas. Um, but I spent uh, about seven years uh, at Adams Course in um, – in the DFW area, Dallas Fort Worth area, um, we we were basically a private company uh, that that trained high school, junior high athletes. Had some college guys, a few pro guys here and there, um, but we actually went on site at the high school in the summer because back at that time in the in the in Texas, the UIL, the governing body of, of athletics in Texas did not allow their coaches to have any access to their players, a lot like the NCAA back then. So we actually filled that void um, as strength coaches um, for the coaches in the summertime. So we, we, we actually trained uh, the high school football teams of soccer, basketball, baseball, you name it, uh, from grades 7 through 12th uh, in the summertime. So I initially started off at Allen High School uh, where I met Todd Graham. Um, who I eventually worked for uh, at Rice. Um, I spent three summers at Allen. Uh, spent another summer kind of going back and forth uh, with, with site observations in my fourth year. And then my last three years, um, I actually ran South Lake Carroll for Todd Dodge. And I also went in the afternoon and went to Highland Park with, uh, with me and Gino. Gino would actually meet at Highland Park in the afternoon and train their varsity football and junior high uh, males. Uh, in the afternoon for Randy Allen, um, who's an extremely successful high school football coach in, in Texas, along with, you know, Coach Dodge. And Joe Martin was at Allen at that time, who's now the Texas High School Coaches Association president. He was the, he was the head football coach at, at Allen, and Gino would run those, those guys. So that's what I did my first seven years. Uh, probably the best um, – probably the best uh, job preparation that I ever had – because uh, we had to do everything. We had to do sales. Um, so in, the, in January, February, a lot like a coach, we would, out, we would actually go out and recruit, um, you know, prospective high schools, um, you know, and you'd have to go sell your program. And so we were part salesman. We were part strength coach. We were part, uh, you know, business. Um, and then recruiters. <laughs> and so, uh, so it was a lot like, uh, you know, actually a college recruiting style uh, when we weren't in our peak season in the summertime. So we would go in January and February and go present our program as far as sales pitches, if you will, to prospective high schools. Um, 
and they would basically tell us yay or nay. And then March, uh, we would devise our, our prospective sales plan and we would go present our program uh, to all the athletes in each school district. Um, so as far as like public speaking, I used to not be very good at it. I'm still not. I mean, my grammar comes out all the time from my Southwest Missouri roots. So uh, <laughs> uh, hillbilly twang, as they say, uh, with some Texas mix in there too now in Southern. So, um, but uh, you know, we would go out and present to hundreds of kids uh, well, thousands, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, we would present our programs, uh, talk to, you know, a football team in their athletic period of time, talk to 300 kids in a junior high athletic period of time, whatever it may be, males, females, 7th through 12th grade. Um, and then you'd start uh, hiring your part-time employees for the summer, and then you had to train them. So, really, it was broken down in phases. January, February, you were, you were selling it to the coaching, to the coaches or the, or the school district, and then you were selling it to the athletes. And then you had to hire a staff, all right, and train a staff uh, and then, you know, implement a program. And so we end up, uh, I think in our seven years, we end up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area with 36 high schools and over 120 part-time employees in the summer that we had to train. And and now the head coach of Texas, Coach Tom, you know, Coach Tom Herman was actually a part-time employee for us as a GA when he was at Texas at Austin Westlake. <laughs> so um, you know, the Adams course roots are crazy. Um, but it was unbelievable as far as the, the relationships and connections and all the people that I have, you know, now down in Texas and and crazy as it sounds, um, has helped me tremendously in college. Um, you know. But so I did that for my first seven years. And then in 2002, uh, a couple guys I played with were coaching at Oklahoma State. Um, uh, I went up and just visited for a couple days just to do a site visit, just to see what was going on. And uh, like I told Justin Schwind a long time ago when he did his first site visit with me at La Tech, um, you know, as a pup, um, you know, that's how you develop relationships. That's how you uh, network in the profession. That's how you are going to get jobs. And that's how you see uh, what, what people truly do in their program. Uh, people can go to a clinic and talk about all the stuff they want to talk about. But at the end of the day, you want to go see what they do and how they interact with their players, how they interact with their staff, um, what type of coach they truly are on the floor. And that's, you know, and then you're paying homage to their program by visiting, you know, and so, um, you know, and, and I'll get to that in a second, but, um, so I actually went out to Oklahoma State, uh, spent a few days up there with some friends. Next thing you know, I'm sitting in Coach Les Miles' office interviewing for a job uh, that I was, you know, not completely prepared for as far as my dress. I had a T-shirt on and a pair of khaki shorts, and uh, but I did have my presentation packets with me. I did have my resume with me. I always carried that with me back then um, just to be prepared and, and, and be ready. And next thing you know, I get hired at Oklahoma State. And uh, that was my college, start off of my college career as an assistant there. Uh, got bumped up pretty quick to assistant director after uh, about four months. Um, and then I spent two seasons there, uh, 2002 season, 2003 season. Um, and then I went to Louisiana Tech as the head strength coach in 2004 in May. Uh, and I spent two seasons there also. And then, um, Todd Graham um, had gotten a head job at Rice 
and he offered me the head strength job at Rice. So I left Louisiana Tech, went to Rice, and lo and behold, a year after I'm at Rice, I run into Tom Herman as the offensive coordinator uh, at Rice in 07 with Coach Bailiff's staff, David Bailiff's staff. And, um, you know, we spent a couple years together there. So I was there 06, 07, 08 seasons. And then I went to Iowa State uh, along with uh, Coach Herman. Uh, he went there as an OC, uh, officer coordinator. And so I spent six more seasons at Iowa State. And then when he left Ohio State to come back to Houston to be the head, head football coach, he offered me the job to go back to Houston. And that was in 2015, uh, where we had the 15 and 16 season at Houston. And then we came to Texas uh, in 2017. So, um, you know, that's uh, this will be my 17th year as a head Division One uh, football strength coach. Um, you know, 19 in college, uh, seven prior to that in private. Uh, so, you know, uh, Phil, uh, yeah, I'd say I've been doing this longer than uh, half my life. So, um, but, um, so that's, that's my, um, you know, that's my, uh, resume, if you will, um, was a four-year letterman in college, O-lineman, um, you know, uh, team captain, uh, in high school and college, um, in my hall of fame back in my alma mater, uh, for athletics, um, and uh, probably my biggest award that I from athletics that I that I probably cherish the most, and I was a first team All American and all that other stuff, was my two team captain plaques that I have. Um, I tell my tell our players that all the time. That's a that's a pretty strong um, uh, award or presentation, and so I never never took that very lightly, and uh, so I feel like. Um, you know, leadership and um, those things lead you. You're always leading. So, and then I, a friend, and Gino just tweeted this out the other day uh, from Performance Courses uh, uh, Twitter account or what it was. He was talking about leaders lead, uh, you know, and, and they develop um, leaders. So that's the one thing uh, I definitely take great pride in as being a team captain as a player. Obviously, I was, I had, a, I had a, you know, I had plenty of awards and all that stuff, but I don't, that's the one thing that I think I'm probably most proud of as a, as a football player. And I got conference championship rings and all that other stuff. And, but all that stuff's in a plastic bin in my, in my garage. <laughs> and my kids always want me to get them out, but I kind of, I don't want to do that. Cause I don't want to put no pressure on them uh, to see that stuff. But uh, my, uh, my bowl rings and all that other stuff and my footballs and all that other stuff. I don't, I don't really have them out. So uh, that's me. <laughs> So uh, I think, you know, obviously, Yance, you've been a mentor to me over my career. Um, and, and I'm very adamant to say it to anybody. Um, so I, what I want to understand for you and really hear you from your heart today, what motivates you? Um, and what motivates you? And this is a layered question when I ask that. Uh, what motivates you now? Has that changed from when you first got into this? Um, and then the second part of that question is, how do you motivate your staff? And has that changed? And, and, and when I ask you these questions, the last piece to it is I don't want to hear the championships. Like, there's more to it. There's – I hear coaches, I'm like, no, sh I'm, no shit. No. I get it. Tell me the real motivating factor because if that's it, when things get hard, you're out. So there's got to be other uh, motivating factors. So I want to hear that. Uh, so what motivates me? Um uh, well, I'll, I'm going to say this, um, you know, I'm not a guy that came from a, um, 
uh, the greatest of backgrounds. Um, and, and not that I'm embarrassed about it or anything like that. I mean, you know, what I, I, I think it's what makes me who I am today. And I came from a split home and, um, you know, athletics is what definitely saved me. Um, you know, I thought I, in Joplin, Missouri, uh, this is going to sound funny. Um, you know, I, 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 I used to go to a friend's house and he lived in a nice, nice, nice neighborhood. And right behind him was our D-line coach, uh, Coach Craig Lynch. Um, and he had a nice house, a nice boat. Him and his wife were both teachers. And in Joplin, I thought, man, he's rich. <laughs> you know? Um, and that tells you kind of, you know, I tell my boys all the time, like, I grew up in a two-bedroom house, you know, um, and I shared a bedroom with my brother. Um, you know, and so my dad had a wood-burning stove in his house. We didn't have we didn't have uh, uh, central air and heat. <laughs> um, so that's fact. And um, you know, I was a full scholarship guy, athlete in college, but also got full Pell Grant. And so uh, you tell many, you tell me many Caucasian uh, males um, that are on full scholarship on Pell Grant. I, I, that's not many. And so. Um, you know, and I just like I said, I'll shoot it real. <laughs> so what motivates me, and, and I, I always thought I was going to be a football coach, and I, and I wanted to be a football coach at Joplin High School. And I didn't really care to be a head coach. I thought I would be an O-line coach because that was the guy, Dick Brownlee, that was my O-line coach in high school and was our strength coach. Um, I just saw that he had an unbelievable life, um, you know, as far as, like, his house. He had a boat, went to the fishing and all that other stuff, and, you know, to me in my eyes at that time, I, I thought the guy was rich. <laughs> so, um, you know, and so that, that was, that was definitely something that motivated me, you know, and then I got in college, um, you know, my first spot, I had an old line coach, strength coach, and I, you know, I mean, I didn't jive up with them. Um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, to sit here and say that I was some model citizen and all that stuff and model student. And I wasn't, I wasn't very good. I was really, point blank, I was probably an asshole uh, my first two years. Um, I was. I was, It wasn't no debate about it. And I practiced hard. I lifted hard. I trained hard. I did all that stuff. The other stuff I didn't get. I didn't understand. Um, and, the, and the more that I did that, I fought with my old line coach, my strength coach, and my head coach. I fought it. Um, you know, the more I, I, I didn't believe in it. And, uh, and then, you know, and, and then my next O-line coach, strength coach, um, it's just a totally different relationship. And it flipped my whole thought process of what I want to do. I thought I always wanted to be an O-line coach. And then it changed. I wanted to be a strength coach. So I want to be around the athletes all the time. And the private sector kind of intrigued me because, you know, going to Dallas, Texas, you know, all that stuff, uh, it, it felt it felt right. And then it was kind of one of those deals that kind of got to the end of that deal. And I just missed the camaraderie. I missed the follow through because, you know, you'd be with the guys for two months and then they'd be gone, you know, and, and you never really had that follow through with them. You go see them in the fall, watch them play high school football and stuff, but you really weren't a part of that, you know. And so, um, you know, so that that itch was, you know, what I wanted. I wanted to be involved in that journey, that process. And that day-to-day -day grind, um, I thrived on it. 
Uh, I still do. Um, but you know, what motivates me, I, when I still go back to Joplin, I go by, I take my boys by my house that I grew up with my mom and I always show them, uh, and they always say the same thing. Wow. Dad, you grew up in that, <laughs> um, you know, and so, um, you know, and I was driving by the boys club where I ate a lot of dinners and I walked to my babysitter at night, um, you know, where I would go to sleep. My mama picked me up about midnight after she'd done two shifts, waiting tables, uh, one at the country club in the afternoon and one, you know, at a steakhouse in town. Um, so she'd come get me about 11, maybe midnight, depending on how late it was. And, you know, usually I slept on the floor or slept on a couch, whatever it was, and then I'd go home and go back to sleep and then get up and repeat and do it again. So what motivates me is probably, you know, that background definitely motivates me on a daily. Um, and not, like I said, not that I'm, you know, ashamed of anything like that, but I think the work ethic of, you know, really my mom, you know, and my dad, they, they worked hard. They just didn't make a lot of money, um, you know, and so it was tough. So, but they worked. And my dad being a Marine and my, you know, very when I went to live with him when I was 13 it was very organized very strict very methodical it was you don't have a curfew at night when I was in high school but you're asking to get up at six in the morning and eat breakfast and go to work and go lift and go do this stuff do the yard work you know do your own laundry iron your own clothes fix your meals you know drink water uh never no one ever told me to drink water you know what i mean or, or hydrate or to eat or whatever it was but it was this if i wanted to stay up late run around with my girlfriend or whatever it was at six in the morning my dad would be banging on my head to wake me up to get me up and go to work so um so you know i mean the way i grew up wasn't a lot of money uh, but i wouldn't change it for anything so you know motivate um Motivation, obviously, you know, I think it's, I think it's all that stuff. When I go back to those roots is every day, uh, the motivation is in the back of my head about how I grew up, uh, <laughs> you know, and so it's probably who I am though, too. And being an old line guy and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's just the nature of things that I don't, I don't, you know, thrive on the spotlight. I don't really care about uh, running out the front of the tunnel with the team. I never have done that. It's not my thing. Uh, I, to be honest, if they told me not to go to the games on Saturday, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'd sit in the locker room, watch on TV and see the kids after the game, but I don't, you know, that's not what I do it for on Saturdays. That's the players. It's always it is going to be the players, but what I do Sunday through Friday year round to get to Saturday, cause that's all about the players. That's it. And so that process has always been in my brain that, you know, it's always about them and uh, not me. Um, you know, I tweeted that out the other day about, you know, coaching's coaching. The logo don't mean nothing. Uh, and, you know, leave the place better than you found it, <laughs> you know. And so – and that means facilities. That means staff. That means, you know, budgets. That means, you know – if it's wins and losses, great. You know what? I bet it will be wins and losses because if you do all those other things, the wins and losses are going to come because you're about the, the detail. You're about the attention to detail and you're about the, you know, the process. Uh, you're not about the salary. You're not about the money. You're not about the logo on your chest. 
all that stuff. That's why when I go to the conferences, I never wear my polo stuff. I don't, I mean, I want to meet you. And I try to hide my tag half the time. So I don't want people to know who I am because I just want to meet you and see what you're about. And a lot of times you go to all this conference and everybody looks at your name tag or they look at the logo and then they want to have a conversation with you. So, um, you know, I'm not, that ain't me. I mean, I, I'm just never has been me. So, um, you know, uh, so that's definitely, I think I got off on a tangent about my motivation, but really my motivation, I mean, I think my motivation, uh, I think I kind of spoke for it, but then at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to be a leader in my house. I want these two boys to see that their dad is a hard worker. He's dedicated. He's, 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 he's about the approach. He's about, you know, all those things. He, he stands for something, you know? And so, um, you know, and so, and I tell recruits this, I tell players all the time, I don't treat, I don't treat them no different. Than I do my boys and, you know, maybe vocabulary a little bit, but now they're starting to get older and that, I am really, <laughs> that's starting to change too. <laughs> I say my wife probably, she probably cussed at them more than I do, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, why, why, why would I, why would I not have the same standards as players as I do my, my boys? Um, you know, do what you're asked to do, have a good attitude, um, and uh, give great effort when when you have to give effort. I mean, what's what's that's not a, that's a pretty easy standard, um, and that's one that I tell the players every time we start in our brand new newcomer: be on time. Um, you know, and that's an attitude and effort thing. That's it. You know, you, you decide when the alarm clock goes off that you're going to be on time, be based on your attitude. You know. Uh, if you got a bad attitude about the alarm going off, then you're probably gonna be late. You know what I mean? That's, that's it. It doesn't mean that much to you. So, you know, be on time, which is early, 10 minutes early, and then have a great attitude and give great effort, all controllable things. And that's always what I've, what I've gone by uh, in myself as a coach. And, um, you know, with the attitude towards my staff and players and my family. And so, um, you know, so that's, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's, uh, it sounds dumb, but it's simple. Um, but you got to be about it every day. And I, I, that's the one thing that's, you know, you know, Sundays for me after a game, uh, you know, they, they feel good when you wake up and they hurt when, you know, sometimes, you know, too. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you get back to work on Sunday, you got to go back to work. And what happened the day before, you know, that's, that's history. So you got you got to constantly in, be in that mindset of you know win the day or want to know or whatever that mentality is. You know, um, you know, don't repeat mistakes. Look at the history and try to fix it. You know, that's that's all of our that's all of our. You know, it should be your mission and thought process when you're planning, like even string programs. I didn't get the test results I wanted. Well, then I'm not going to do the same thing as far as my template, whatever it was. Something didn't work in the process of that plan. So I got to go back and look at it and see what's wrong with it, fix it, tweak it, injuries in the season. You know, we got to look at when it happened all that stuff. I mean, so, um, you know, but it's all, it's all very much intertwined, very simple, simplistic, um, I guess, mentalities and attitudes, how you, how you approach things on a daily. So real quick. Uh, awesome. Love it. The young, uh, before we go any further, here's what I appreciate about what you just said. It was your, it was all about your story. And I think what we miss 
in this industry, what we miss on any platform anybody uses is they forget what story means. Your story is in some way or fashion, everyone's story. Um, obviously, there's a little tweak here and there. Obviously, well, you grew up different than me, but um, your expectations and all the things, it's, it's where you relate. It's where it's authentic. It's where we really feel like, hey, I can connect. I want to be a part of this. And, and I appreciate it. So, you know, I think that that's what this platform needs to be. So second part to the question is, because um, you said the first part beautifully, how do you motivate your staff? Um, like, and has that changed over the years? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it has. I think uh, as a younger, okay, as a younger strength coach um, or coach, whatever, I think you're – um, response is always different. As a young guy, your response is so like at times ego driven. Um, and so it tends to be like, you know, aggressive, abrasive, if you will. Um, you know, and that's something I learned, you know, early on, you know, like, I th- and, you know, it, and it all kind of equates to to like literally like at losing a tech, I had no money. Um, you know, we had no budget. Um, so guess what our strength staff was? Very green. Uh, you know, uh, so at times it's, you know, it's extremely frustrating, you know, to have the same mistakes over and over and over. And as a young strength coach, what do you tend to do? You flip out, you know, and um and, and, if the, and if the response gets fixed, then great. You know, that, that worked. But sometimes it didn't because the, the same mistakes repeated over and over. So, you know, I think with level of, of, of place that you're at along with budget, that does affect, um, you know, it's like now. Like, uh, you know, I, I think our strength staff right now has 30 years of head, head experience at Texas. I mean, you think I flip out much about, like, what's going on on a Tuesday on platform four where coach grace is at rod grace. Nah, I mean, not really, you know, like, I mean, there might be a couple things here and there that I see that maybe needs to get fixed, but it ain't very often, you know, now when, you know, I was at Louisiana tech and it was, you know, I had a bunch of young pups that were still in college that were student assistants or whatever it may be. And they were, you know, probably more worried about running the streets at night than they were, you know, coaching their guys in the morning. Um, yeah, you know, that, that response is definitely different. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I've had different bosses uh, as an assistant and, you know, all this other stuff. And I've seen it, you know, coaching styles too is um, if I'm going to sit there and ask you, to have great energy and great passion and great, you know, intensity and be knowledgeable and all sorts of stuff. And I don't do that. Then I'm not leading by example. And uh, you have to lead by example. And the one thing I learned about early on too, is you, as a leader, you can't micromanage everything and strangle it. Uh, Cause that's what'll happen is if I'm going to have to sit there and do all this stuff then I'm going to strangle everybody and they're not going to want to have any input and they're not going to want to, uh, work hard for me per se, you know, and those are all things you learn on the job. You know, you can throw all the water coolers you want and throw stuff and be, you know, scream and mad, you'd be mad because something ain't set up or whatever it is, you know, 
uh, then at the end of the day, did you tell them right? <laughs> did you address it correctly? And so I think, you know, you got to look at yourself, you know, and if it continues that, you know, it's the same old thing. You, you keep having the same results. Well, then it's not their fault. It's probably your fault. You're the one that's not getting it across to them. So same thing with athletes. Um, you know, I had, I had, it was a great one in Iowa state. I used to, I used to get on this D line kid, um, you know, quite a bit and he, he just would constantly mess up. And finally I said to him, I said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to quit yelling at you. I'm going to quit it. Cause every time I do, you continue to make more mistakes. He's like, coach, you're right. You know what? I stopped and he stopped making a bunch of mistakes. So I was the problem, probably more than anything. I was, you know, the way I was addressing it and going at it. So, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think in coaching and all this stuff, you got to check your ego all the time. Um, and, and you got to listen and stop. And, and uh, you know, I've learned that as I've, as I've kind of come up and gotten older. And, you know, definitely, you know, with, with resources and staff, too, when you can hire – you know, when you can hire your guys too that you've groomed and you've brought through your intern programs, that's why intern programs are so important, you know, and, and developing people and, and grooming them and mentoring them. Um, you know, you mentor them, send them out, see if they can swim, you know, see if they can manage the profession. And then if they can, bring it back and, uh, and then send them out again to go be head guys, right? And so, you know, that's, that's, I've been lucky that we've had a great mentorship program. We've had a great internship program and I've had great guys lead those things too, that I led as interns. And so, you know, leaders lead um, and then they let people lead. And so that's the next thing I think too, with staff is empowering your staff. And that was one thing, like if you ever come watch us run or lift, you'll see me, I don't run stretch. Uh, I don't, uh, I, you know, I stopped doing that. Uh, I, I let other guys do it. Uh, I let Clayton Oyster do it. I let Ryan Dietrich do it. I mean, I've, you know, Chris Campbell, I mean, um, cause that puts them in a situation of leadership with our players and also our football staff sees those guys in leadership roles. And it's not always, you know, I mean, I'm good. I mean, I, I, I don't need to run stretch. Um, if, if, if I'm going to be worried about my job, about running stretch, like, you know, I'm not very good at my job. So, uh, but that puts those guys in, in positions of leadership and then always putting your guys, you know, in charge of things to deliver the message to the athletes at stations, at agility stations or presentations in the weight room or whatever it is, you know, like put guys in positions uh, to lead in front of staff, coaching staff, in front of athletes, so it develops them as a leader. Um, you know, that's the only way, you know, they're going to they're gonna get better at it, and that's the only way that maybe a, the next hot offensive coordinator sees one of my guys as that guy can run it, that guy can lead. He, he's got, a, he's got a, a magnetic draw with the players, and they see that stuff. So, you know, that's, that's development of your staff and motivation. So... I, you know, it's, 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 you know, being smart with the guy's time, your staff, not burning them up just to burn them up, sit around six to six to sit just to do it. Uh, it's being smart with your, with your staff. Uh, it's, it's leading by example all the time. It is having collaboration. It is listening. Um, 
you know, and then it's having direct, clear messages. And I think the attitude and effort and being on time is the same with your staff. That's it. I tell them all the time, man, like, you know, if we're tired, then that's my fault. But, you know, like we need to figure out how to not be tired, schedule, whatever it may be. If there's needs to be break between lift groups, whatever, I don't know. But we have to bring high energy and high intensity and coaching acumen and, and, and coaching cues and coach our guys every day, every lift, every training session. Um, that They never can have an off day, ever. From, a, from an attitude, enthusiasm, you know, any of that stuff. That can't happen. That's not fair to our players. And that goes against everything that I, you know, I preach, you know, about being consistent and being on top of your stuff every day. But I got to do that too. I got to bring that. I have I have to bring that every time. And, um, and I feel um, – and I go back, you can go back and ask athletes that, that I've coached for five years. I, they, they would say, I never saw Coach McKnight have an off day where he wasn't like with it, or, you know, and, and staff members have been with me for a long time. Like it, you know, and it might happen in between lift groups. I might, you know, who knows? I'm like, uh, you know, but uh, not on the floor, not on the field. No way. Not, not in front of an athlete. Not, not going to happen. I appreciate that. Uh, Darius? Coach McKnight, uh, it's great to, to meet you, sir. I, I actually had the opportunity. I, I don't know if you remember, I met you uh, at one time at a convention out in Nashville, I believe, and I had the opportunity to do a site visit. You weren't there, but uh, Rod Grace was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is when y'all was at uh, Houston and I was at Prairie View. Yeah. Uh, question I, I've been wanting to ask you for a long time, actually, is uh, in, in terms of your program development, um, using the tier and as well as any other technology that you all have used and currently use, um, how do you employ those methods uh, to the success of um, optimizing training and performance of your athletes um, and as well as getting them to buy in uh, to your program, sir? So great questions. Um, um, so, so the, and this is this is uh, a tough one because a lot of times we, I mean, at times we get bogged down with the technology and the data and all our stuff. And you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's this sounds. I mean, it's, everyone says this. You know, to be fast, I run fast, and you know, to be strong, powerful, I got to lift heavy, right? Um, but. If those ain't done in the correct fashion, then you're going to do some damage, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think um, you know, with the technology piece right now, we're lucky, you know, that we got unlimited resources here, um, you know. And, and I've been extremely fortunate to have you know Eric Anthony, who's my sports science director here at, at Texas, who's now the head guy at Tulsa. Uh, he's been an intern for me uh, at Iowa State, um, and then Matt Van Dyke, who's Obviously, I think everyone in the strength and conditioning profession knows who Matt Van Dyke is. I mean, he's, he's an author and all our stuff. Well, guess what he was? He was a walk-on wide receiver for us at Iowa State. You know what I mean? And uh, then he was an intern for me, all right? And so um, so he grew up in, in, our, in our training program. Um, and then I've had him the last two years as, as our sports science director. And then he just left and went to the Houston Texans to be their director of sports science. Um, so I've been lucky in that aspect as far as the guys that I've had in that department run it. And, uh, again, uh, those are guys that have, you know, we've groomed. Um, but, uh, 
you know, I, th I think the, the main thing with the data and technology is, and as a strength coach uh, from our side, of it, I think we have to be really smart as far as how we deliver that message. And then collaboration, if you have a sports science, you know, like guy that's, you have to be on the same page on that. And, and you can't be um, two different silos. It can't be really three, you know what I mean? You can't have silos, period. But it can't be football staff, sports science staff, strength staff, medical staff. That does not work at all. And that all has to be one silo in the story. And if it's all different, then everybody's got their own agendas and, and agendas are not good in, in a team sport. So, or anything uh, that's, that involves a staff. So agendas, agendas need to be one. That's about players. That's it. Uh, and, and what's going to best benefit them. So for, for our side of it, the technology side is, is really is your training checks. All right, checks and balances in your training plan. What are you doing winter off season leading into spring ball, post spring ball, all you're going to, all you're working after, after spring ball leading into summer, summer one, summer two, and then camp. So you're building everything to summer camp, basically training camp for football. All right. Because uh, the main thing, you know, obviously that's going to be some of their heaviest player loads are going to have some of their biggest physical contacts all back to back, you know, all that stuff, the stressors that they have mentally and physically in that time of, of time of year is just, I mean, it's through the roof. And so if they're not resilient leading into camp and they're not physically and mentally pre uh, prepared, you're going to have a, a rough season. I don't care where you are and what your talent level is and all that other stuff. So you, for us, the science, the data, we know what the data is in camp. We know what the data is in season. Use that reverse engineered, if you will, to get them ready for that. I'm not going to go into, into the head coach or position coach's room and say, hey, you can't do this and this. Because if that head coach came in my weight room or position coach came in my weight room and told me, hey, you don't need to do this to this, guess what's going to happen? We're going to blow up. You know what I mean? And so I'm not going to do that to them either. I mean, they got a job to do. Their, their livelihood relies on their players being prepared. And so that's where the silo thing can't happen. Uh, it doesn't work. And so um, – you know, so from our side of it, it was always, you know, look at what we're doing in practice. And then there's things like, hey, so-and-so has had a tremendous amount of reps on Saturday, a one, a number one wide receiver, the two wide receivers, whatever it is. Let's come in on Sunday and let's let those twos and threes have a little bit more reps. Do what mental stuff you need to get done with those guys. And then you start looking at, like, if speed starts to decrease, you know, in season, then we got to do something. we got to fix something. You know what I mean? Like it's, and it's restoration and sleep and all that other stuff, right? But it is also like the stimulus of what's going on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leading into Saturday. And so, or Sunday even too. Are we doing too much stuff to not get that guy recovered for the next week? So that's, that's always what it is, is, is the onus falls back on, the onus falls back on when it comes to catapulting player loads and all that other stuff, the onus is going to come back on the player. And, and you know what? It's our job to educate the player. And help the player, and so and help the coaching staff. So, you know, 
I think that's, you know, when you explain sports science and you explain technology and the data, you have to be very, very cognizant of the, the sport coach and the skill acquisition that they have to do. And, um, and then you guys, as far as how you deliver the message, it never can be, you can't do this. I mean, it is okay. We need to limit this a little bit and still do it. Uh, just that we just gotta be smart maybe in this area and help, help them, uh, as far as like their, their, their daily plan. And we've done that, you know, where it might be, you know, like, Hey, special teams, let's, let's, let's only give them two reps of full speed work, not six, six, you know? Uh, I mean, that, it's stuff like that. I mean, so to shut them down in the middle of practice, like that can happen, you know, that's, that's physical skills that they're not going to get. That's mental skills and mental preparation. They're not going to get that. That can't happen. Uh, just can't, you know? So I think that, um, really the, the technology for us, uh, when we started implementing back in um, uh, 2011, uh, catapults some Zephyr stuff early on, you know, as I always say, balling on a budget. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we were initially at Iowa State, we were balling on a budget. Um, we, were, we were just trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out truly, and that's what I always said was, with the catapults, I want to know what an agility drill, what that expenditure is for our players, you know. I want to know what a 10-yard sprint is for our players, what that expenditure is. I know what lifting is. I know what tonnage is. I know what I know what that is. That's great. The running stuff thing that we never we, – we, you could calculate yardage roughly, but you couldn't really calculate speed and the, the, the intensity value that was the player was using, all right? Just never have been able to. And that's, that was what I always wanted to know because it was, it was a variable. Uh, you could you could think about yardage and all that other stuff in there, and, but the intensity side of it, you just didn't know, and that's that's the beauty of it now that you do know that, and so you know, um, you know. Well, I mean, I see if I can do this real quick, Schwindo. If I can do a share screen real quick. Um, ah. Uh, ah. I thought I had it. I had a cat. I hold my, I had my old loading chart uh, catapult um, for the year. I mean, we know exactly like how to build, come off, build, come off. Same in the season. I mean, literally, it's build down, build down, build down, just like you do training cycles. Uh, you know, base load. You know, base load, top deload, or you base. Load. Your computer. I do. Yeah. Let me do. Let me do this real quick. Try it again. Yeah, here we go. All right, let me. Should be at the bottom of that screen, sit share screen, and choose the right window. Oh. There you go. Got it? Yep. So, I mean, that's, that's, that is a, that's the 2019 catapult right there all of our player load values. So you can kind of see like in winter off season, like, you know, we talk, we start talking about, you know, like, you know, they want to come out with all these rules about like return to play and all sort of stuff as far as like your loads and things like that. I mean, if you have catapult, like, I mean, this, that shouldn't even be a thing for you. Um, you know, because it's the gradual increase and it's, it's proper physical progression. Right. 
Um, and if you have sports, you know, sports science or any kind of catapult data stuff, like, I mean, that should be fairly simple for you. Uh, <laughs> that's going to sound like an a-hole there a little bit, but, but this is, this is what, you know, our 2019 season looked like. So you kind of see like winter off season, you know, what's happening there. The first four weeks, like we're coming back in from bowl, you know, a bowl season, uh, or, you know, three week layoff, whatever it may be. And as we get closer to spring ball, what happens? We start going to coaches stations and agility stations and some of your county fair, mat drill, things like that. So the volume picks up a little bit more. Uh, then you go to a break and then we come to spring ball and you kind of see the spring ball values, what happens there about what usually happens. It kind of peaks on week two and then they start kind of tapering back down towards the back end of it. And then you see post spring, that's some of the conditioning blocks we do there afterwards, which is a little bit higher than winter, uh, winter one, right? Volume wise, because they're ready for it. And then you see the summer build, how, how that works. And that, um, well, I'll see what it is, week 20, yeah, 26, that's right before July 4th break. So we peak them up that cycle one. That's a 90% week in the weight room intensity wise, probably one of our, you know, it's, it's one of our heavier run volume days as far as like without pads on uh, in the summer. Then you come back and it's three weeks, pretty hard, pretty tough. Cause we usually, we add another day to everybody's run. So a skill guy, combo guy goes from a four day run to a five day run. Our O-line, D-line guys go from a three-day run to a four-day run in that last three weeks of summer conditioning right before camp. So then what you can see is they've hit that last week of summer conditioning. They get about five, six days off physically, um, and then they come back week 31. That's the first week of camp. And so we've touched volume-wise and player loads higher than that first week of camp. And then you can see what happens at week two and week three. <laughs> it goes haywire, right? And so, you know, and, that, and that's what I was saying. Those stimuluses that those guys are going to have uh, in camp are going to be the highest they touch all year. And it's because of six days straight. It's that mental, mental physical toughness piece uh, that you're just, you know, you're not going to talk a coach out of it. But they also got to get a lot of stuff done, uh, physical preparation, mental preparation, you know, the skill acquisition, everything they're trying to teach. And then you see what happens. It, it goes down um, into a normal kind of game week. And so – and then you kind of see the game week from there as far as how it ebbs and flows throughout the uh, season. Oops, sorry. Um, um, you know, with a bye week and everything like that too. And so um, – but it's pretty consistent throughout the season. The 44 is the short week as far as, uh, you know, the, the we're playing on Friday, the last week during Thanksgiving and all that stuff. So that's, that's a short week. So you got to back down a little bit there. And then the 39 is a bye week. Um, but the one thing that we've seen too is like you play your big rivals, your, your player loads are through the roof. So you got to be really smart and practice that week um, to not – because they're amped, they're crazy, they're 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 fired up, and they're they are actually their speeds are higher, mentally they're they're more turned on, all that other stuff, and you got to be really smart with like your practice preparation, but you don't. It's not so much for that Saturday; it's really the next week, you know, because all the loading that you do that week is gonna hit you the following week. So, you know, that's that's the one thing that's you know is, and even the other thing we found in 2018. Um, 
you know, was coming off bye weeks uh, of not doing enough on bye weeks, um, you know, is that you actually shut them down and uh, you don't do enough work with them. So there's, there's some things that, uh, you know, that you, like I said, you got to learn from history a little bit and, uh, you know, and, and trial and error, if you will, but not to repeat the same mistake. So uh, that's a, that's a great, um, you know, technology piece there as far as like um, how we use data. Um, and, and, and you see it, I mean, you see a lot of the, uh, cycling, if you will, um, you know, just like you would in a, in a, in a lift program, lifting program and a running program of, of, you know, what is it? Males, high, highly trained males. What is it? They can hold, go hard for 14 days. Right. And then they got to have a down week. females. It's 21. I think that's what the Chinese Olympic, uh, um, training center. That's what they've kind of determined. So it, it's, it's true. Um, you know, so it's, you know, it's something's got to change after two weeks if you've been getting going pretty hard intensity wise, whether that's, you know, the implements in the weight room that you're doing, it's a barbell placement, whatever it is, or it's, you know, something from a, a horizontal press to a vertical press or push pull, whatever it may be. Um, you know, something's got to change after two weeks, if not intensity. So um, that's how we, that's how we view it and look at it. So um and the other thing too is, you know, factoring in, you know, gear too, you know, that, that was one thing, you know, that we saw early on, you know, uh, a lot of time coaches, you know, they'll equate taking gear off the players as backing off of them. So they'll go from full pads to helmets. Well, guess what happens? Speeds and player loads go through the roof with just helmets on. I mean, it's, it's some of the highest stuff. And so, you know, we had to explain that to our coaches a little bit too. Like, Hey, like when you put a helmet on, when you just put a helmet on those guys, you still have to work the run game too. So don't forget about doing the run game and helmets and be careful of just doing go routes, you know, in, in helmets, because we actually saw like that was a higher player load. Um, and that's like where we try to get them to shorten the field, maybe go red zone a little bit more and some, some situational football, not just get out in the field and play it in helmets. So there's a lot of things that, you know, when you present it to a coach from a practice planning standpoint too, like, and that was some good stuff too, that, you know, our, our defensive coordinators brought in coach Ash was talking about earlier in camp of doing like short red zone stuff. And then you build to some open field stuff, you know, as, as camp progresses, especially with the situation we're in right now with, you know, a different situation going into camp this year with, with all the, all the uh, pandemic stuff going on right now. So, so there's, there's a lot of things as far as planning and things like that you can do and use the data to your advantage, um, you know, and not make it a hindrance or a, or a red, red light, green light type deal either. That can't, I mean, that's, that's stuff that just, we don't believe in personally. So, yeah, uh, you know, a big one of what I, I'm curious with and, and me being, coming from my previous position working with the uh, Green Berets and the, and the Q courts, uh, they employed a heavy, heavy sports psych uh, element to it. Um, football coaches, they get confused and they call it mental toughness and it's not mental tough. That's not a damn word. It's, no. it's, it's, it's really, it's mental resiliency. resiliency. Um, I, that, you know, that's, that's a fact. Like how resilient are you? Because resiliency is like, that's that's contort an object and it goes back to its original form. Mm-hmm. 
that's like mental toughness is not a that's that stuff's done when you're like a baby. Right. I want to. What I'm looking at is because some dudes are just tough son of guns, and they have that resiliency. You told me about your background. You shared that, and obviously that's why who you are, and that's why you you have that mental resilience. But some don't. Some have the silver spoon. Some have the helicopter parents. Um, We interviewed a a San Francisco Giants sports science uh, guy the other day, and he was talking about, like, guys that don't even have the body and don't even have the performance side in the the training thing, but they literally get on the mound and they can just sling it. They just got the swag. They got the resiliency. They were able to do it. Um, In my setting prior, uh, several things that that our uh, sports sites worked on were were uh, memory components um, in high stressful environments. They basically would, uh, they would have times when they knew that because uh, we had heart rate monitor components and they'd have times when we would see the, the students hit that high stress and then they would dive into the, the thought process pieces that they had to think critically. Um, and they were, and, and what they had found is that resiliency was able to expand um for those students because, I mean, hell, that's what that's what the Q course is. It's 18, 24 months of getting kicked in the nuts, both mentally, learning a language, learning a culture, um, understanding tactics, and having a physical piece to it. Um, and what I want to know is I'm asking you, um, what do you guys do? Or what, what have you done? That, maybe not even particularly, but you have staff members within your program. Uh, what do you all do to, to instill that resiliency um, or expand that resiliency? And uh, – is there, are there simple methods? Maybe even did it when you had nothing, a lot of tech um, that worked for you um, significantly uh, then and now. Is there certain things that you've learned here currently or like this is kind of some of the secret sauce that we use? So, and yeah, you because know, I, <laughs> so I, I got in a, a discussion, heated discussion with one of our head coaches before about, you know, doing conditioning post practice in camp and you know I reflect back on you know when I did it as a player I, I didn't there wasn't nothing about it that made me like tougher I mean you know it, it probably pissed me off more than anything um, you know and I said well I mean if you're I said you know what what's the reason first of all what's the objective for the conditioning component because we just went through a 10-week summer off season so you know and we and we did a pretty high volume of like running and um, you know, and we're doing a 24 period practice and we're doing two a days. And this is back when we did two a days. I said, so what, like, you know, what are you talking about? Like mental toughness, like I'm mean, playing football and well, you know, like running post. I said, well, okay. So if we want to do mental toughness, then we should stop in the middle of practice at period 11 run run them, run them, run them, run them, run them, run them, and let's line up and do team. And let's find out who makes all the busts mentally and who who screws stuff up and who doesn't want to go hard and who doesn't – because that's mental toughness. Because mental toughness is doing things under duress, like critical decisions. Um, Physical toughness, that's a different deal. Pain threshold, uh, physical toughness, you know, what you can withstand, those are two different things. Uh, you know, pain threshold that a lot of people say is 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 done by the time of what age five, um, somewhere in there. And a lot of the mental toughness and resiliency stuff's done 
early, um, you know, before 13 years old. So, <laughs> um, so pain threshold, I, you know, I read that before uh, Ryan Sizzik gave me a book on it, uh, you know, some, some stuff about pain threshold. So, you know, what I did when I had my two sons was, I, I mean, I used to pinch them and poke them when they were babies, when I fed them. <laughs> um, I did. Um, and, uh, you know, and when they fell down, we didn't run and pick them up. We let them cry and do their thing. And, you know, they were all right. It got, it got fixed. So we'll see if that worked out for them uh, when they get a little bit older too. And, you know, uh, but you know, what tends to happen now is they fall down and flop around wherever it is and you just kind of look at them and then they stop crying. So, um, you know, and they're, and they're, they seem to be decently tough on that stuff. Pain threshold wise, resiliently. No, they're not there yet. Um, but, um, I think, I think, uh, you know, I think, uh, resiliencies, um, I think it's how you train, you know, your expectations too, like, you know, what those expectations are in the weight room all the time and what they're in the running, um, you know, and, and the mental toughness is really like the approach and, you know, um, you know, being able to be, uh, go train extremely hard on a Monday and run lift and then turn around Tuesday and you got to bring the same energy and effort, you know, as a coach to a player. And then you got the catapult data too, to show you that stuff that you can hold those guys accountable at those things. That's, that's a huge piece. But I think the other thing too is, is, you know, and I say it to our players all the time, coach fed player led, right. You know, that's, that's an old thing. Um, but you know, it can't always be coach fed. It has to be, some of that has to be player led and those guys got to do stuff. Um, but I, th I think, I think the, uh, I think, you know, conditioning, just running is one thing. If, if you can put them in like, like we do some things called metabolic plays uh, towards the back in the summer. And that is, a, that's an extremely tough, like player load per minute. Like that's the, that's hiring a game. Like it's, it's really hard and it's under time. Uh, they got to make it in a certain target time and then they got a certain amount of rest time, 20 seconds. And then what I tell them is, you know, you got to touch it right, left, this, this, and then in the middle of the play, I'll, I'll flip it and make them turn the other way. And they got to all talk to each other and communicate and do all that stuff under duress and time. And, and you know, and, and it goes crazy, right? Chaos. And I think that's the other thing too, is like, you know, we all want to be very set and patterned and very routine and, and things like that. But within that, at times you do have to throw curveballs at them and um, to get them out of that robotic routine. Um, and I know it's hard as coaches because that's what we thrive on. We thrive on routine and we thrive on, you know, bop, 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 bop. But that turns to be robotic. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, but, you know, like time, like that's why we do like at, at this time of year right now, we always do the 40 singles, 20 doubles tier. I mean, that's that's on the 30 second beat, man. Like that is like that's that's some like you got to be about it, you know. And, um, you know, I, th I think there's things you just got to throw in your training program to make them think, make them communicate under duress. That, that's that's how you that's how you do mental mental toughness or resiliency but i think resiliency is is 
holding these guys accountable every single day about their speed retention, about their intensity level in the weight room. You know, I don't pass out cards. I've got it. I, I, our strength staff has the, has every single guy's they're, – they're assigned players, like there are weights on there. So I never – it's not just pick what you want to do, you know. And then it's, it's, you know, we get to the back end of every set. Like it doesn't matter if it's 70% on that week. I'm looking at the back two sets of, of 70% on cleans. Are you throwing another 10 on? You know, like, you know, and then it starts kind of like, hey, let's throw a 10 on there because you're filling it that day. You know, like that's mental toughness and resiliency, in my opinion. Like, you know, you got to get out of that robotic um, coach fed all the time. It's got to be some player led stuff in there. And I think you got to, you got to make them communicate. You got to make them talk like under duress, all that other stuff. They got to do that stuff, you know, make them load their weights, make them change stuff out, tell them what's supposed to be on the bar. You know what I mean? All all those things where they got to communicate and talk and do all those because uh, that's the thing nowadays. I mean, they don't do that. They don't communicate. They don't talk. Uh, problem solving is, eh, you know, conflict resolution. Eh, it's not, it's frowned on, you know, nowadays, um, you know, and so that can't be an excuse for us though. As coaches, we got, we got to evolve. We got to figure out ways to, to reach them. And, uh, you know, cause the one thing that, you know, sports don't change. I mean, the outcomes are still, you got to win. And so, you know, we can sit there and blame kids and all this other stuff. And that's not, that's not, that's not, that's a cop out. <laughs> so, you know, so from a resiliency standpoint, I think that's, you know, I, I always look at it like that too, is, is, when you start throwing commands out, reactive things, things like that when they're tired, or even like when you do your drills, like conditioning day, a conditioning day, boom, you do conditioning day, and then at the very end, you make them go do, like we do that, like we'll do our hard conditioning day, uh, an agility day, and then we'll go down as a team, and then we'll do like a command pro agility, and we'll just tell them to, you know, hop out, go this way, go that way, touch, you know, and then they got to talk to each other. And then you might say, hey, flip it to one guy. And then he's got to tell everybody, you know, and that's communication. That's under duress. That's fatigued. And I think that's where like mental toughness, if you will, or resiliency, you have to be, I think they got to be fatigued. I think they got to be tired. Uh, they can't be fresh. They can't be comfortable because that's not where mental toughness rears its ugly head or resiliency it's it's when they're not fresh it's when they're in day 10 of camp you know um those are the things that i think um you know you got to look at when you're planning stuff you know is is challenge sets it in the squat make them do a set of 10 <laughs> you know i mean that's not gonna be fresh <laughs> you know they're not gonna be fresh at the very end of that last you know 85 percent for doubles and you say hey drop it down 75 percent on your plan and let's see if you can hit eight eight reps of that after you've done six sets of two or eight sets of two. I mean, we, we do that stuff too, just to check them, you know, and see if they're competitive and if they want to, they want to, you know, come with it that day too. So I think those are things that just as you plan things and program, you add those pieces in there at certain times of year, especially when you start getting towards the back end of your training cycle and you're leading into camp. Like you want those guys to, you know, not be comfortable. That's one thing we changed this off season too, was we stopped posting everything. And I, and I, and I told all, I, I, I texted to two guys 
what the gear of the day was and you know whatever it may be as far as announcement wise i texted two guys on the team and they'd be expected to get it to all 100 guys um you know so they got to communicate that and stop relying on someone to always text them when they get up and tell them what to do and all sorts of stuff so um that was huge and now with what's going on now it's paid off massive dividends because these guys are all out here in the wilderness you know trying to survive and I tell them, are you surviving? Or are you thriving? You know, uh, there's a difference. That's a different mentality. You know what I mean? So now they're all out there, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, train and do this and text each other, we're talking to each other, we're calling each other, doing all this stuff. And it's all remote. And, um, I think it, I think it, I do think it helped a lot because now they communicate with each other and they're doing groups and they're doing all this stuff and that's what they've done all winter, you know? And so, you know, if we'd have relied just on teamworks, you know, giving them all the messages all the time and someone calling them to wake them up. And uh, I, I, we nixed all that stuff in the winter. Like, there ain't no GAs calling no guy to wake him up. There ain't no none of that stuff. We want to know who can't get themselves out of bed. You know, I mean, I think you want to know that stuff, you know. Now, come season time, sure, yeah, you got to go get a guy out of bed or whatever it is to get him practice. It is what it is. But at least you know that guy ain't really about the process, you know? And so, you know, you put him in a situation that's key and it's vital and he doesn't come through. Well, shame on you. You you knew it. So that's the way I, that's the way I view it. There's no different in military, you know, you know, in training. I mean, those guys know, they know who the weak links are and they're not going to put them in a situation and make a, a, a critical error that's going to get people killed. Um, that's a bad, that's a bad leader. <laughs> That's why I want to say it. <laughs> well, well, chances are they, if it's in an elite group, they didn't make it to the selection process. No doubt. They got, they got, it's, not a, it's not a recruiting process. Hey, we recruit you. It's, no. it, all right, you're, you're, can you make it past this? Yeah. My, dad, my, my dad would say that would, uh, a shovel upside the head would fix that. So <laughs> it, it, it almost makes you wish that you, you, you had that selection process in college athletics. Because it'd be a lot more fluid for coaches and programs. There wouldn't be a year in, oh, this guy washed out. Oh, you didn't give him a fair shot. It's like, no, man, like, you didn't make it to the selection process. That's the NFL. You know, the, the NFL, it's, it's like, okay, talent, speed, great. But if you're not, if you don't have it up here and you don't have that process and you, and you, you can't process things and you can't, like, absorb things and if you're not a man uh, about your business uh you know whatever i should you know that's what it is but if you're not an adult about going through the process and you can get yourself up and be on time and do what you need to do because most of that is all you better be a self-starter being a guy that's going to last in that that league for a long time if you're not you will get self-select you'll self-select out because uh because they'll move on regardless of talent and speed because that eventually that will wear down and once that does psh, gone because you don't do the other stuff good enough so you know that's same thing so i agree so we're at the end end of the time we've got about 10 minutes left i want to kind of open up to you share anything that you really want to share that you don't feel like we were able to touch today um it can be about you personally it can be about philosophy uh, the characteristics of your staff, anything, but like this is your last bit of platform, the knowledge nugget section of the uh, platform. So it's all you coach. Uh, yeah, I, I would say probably 
you know, I, I would say kind of the same advice that I gave, like we talked about a long time ago uh, at the at the team hotel <laughs> in Houston where we're going to play Rice, um, uh, Schwindo and I, a uh, long time ago. Um, you know, it was 2000, uh, 2005, uh, four. Yeah, it was 2004. It's right. 2004, uh, we're LaTeX, we're playing at Rice, and we sit down in the lobby and talk forever. Uh, I would say as a young, uh, you know, I probably point this more at like young strength coaches and, and uh, guys that are probably moving up the profession. Um, uh, the one thing that I did, you know, with, with all my younger strength guys, you know, initially early on was, you know, they asked me about networking and, and you know, how to move through the profession. And, you know, and I, and I, I told them, you know, spring break, for example, you're not married, you're not, you know, you ain't got no kids or whatever it is, like, you know, you as a young strength coach on spring break, you know, we would plot out like um, go to this school, this school, this school, this school, this school, you know, and it kind of went back to my roots when I was at Adams course and it would be, you know, I would go in, meet with a coach and then I'd go out in my car and I had all my notepads and I would write a personal note, right? I'd put it in the envelope and I would, put the stamp on and throw it in the, in the uh, post office box and you get to them two or three days later about, Hey, I appreciate you spending time with me, blah, blah, blah. And it was a handwritten note and visiting their campus, writing them a handwritten note, corresponding with them that way that developed a uh, relationship or rapport. And, um, you know, and I know it now as a head guy, like when people come in and visit, you know, uh, and they write notes like it means something to me it does it, like it it impacts me an email eh, I don't I don't that's too easy um, you can get those on the CSCCA mass website you know web uh, web uh, page deal directory you can send out all that stuff all you want I'm not I'm not really I mean I'm just not gonna probably respond it's not gonna be well it's not gonna impact me as much um, I think when people come in and visit, write letters, write notes, personal things, you know, just saying thanks or keeping up with us, you know, that way. I, I, that, that means, it means a lot. Um, you know, and I think as a young coach, you got to look at your audience too, like who you're trying to get hired by too. You know, if they're a 40 some year old guy, that's the way they think, you know, uh, if it's a young 30 year old, yeah, then maybe the email thing does work or an Instagram post or what, I don't know, whatever, uh, Twitter DM or whatever. But if it's a, you know, 40, 40 plus guy, uh, the email stuff don't, I don't really jive up as much. So I think you gotta know your audience is like, you know, as, as, as who you're trying to, you know, network with and relate with and all that other stuff. And it's a general generational thing. But I think, you know, as a young strength coach, you know, that was the one thing that, you know, when I talked to my guys, like plotting those things out, it helped them a ton. It helped them, um, you know, get the next job, if you will. Um, you know, as far as like plotting out and let alone going to learn, you're going to learn and, and, and see people work and how they do things, their philosophy. And I even say like, look at the record boards on the wall, look at what the weight room is, take pictures of it. You know, if you can get a sign, you know, a sign email from them, get it. I mean, Schwinn's great at it. I mean, like every time I, he comes and visits, I get, <laughs> one, I get smarter. That's for damn sure. So, um, he's always, he always keeps me on my toes. That's for sure. So, um, so I definitely get smarter every time I, I get around Schwinn. That's for sure. And my book, 
uh, library on my thumb drive is like, I got to buy a new thumb drive. So, uh, but that's the other thing too. And, and Joe Ken did that. When I went and visited Louisville with Joe Ken, when I was looking at changing my, really change, like kind of evolving my philosophy a little bit from a more of a four day split to a three day tier, you know, and, um, you know, you, everybody can say whatever, you know, tier conjugate, triphasic, all that stuff kind of melts into, you know, into the tier, in my opinion. Uh, that's why it's so such a great program, um, flexible, flexibility in it. Um, but when I went, I spent two days with him and, uh, you know, up at the crack of dawn, stayed till whenever, you know, and that guy grinds. I mean, like you get in there early, early and never leaves. Like he eats lunch, his desk, the whole nine yards, you know, I mean, like you're there grinding. Um, but the one thing I thought was cool at the end of the deal was he, he basically took my thumb drive and dumped everything on his thumb, on, on my thumb drive, his manuscripts, his coach's playbook manuscript. I mean, I got it. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I got, I mean, I got all this stuff. So, um, and then, you know, that was a big impact, um, you know, as far as like him on me uh, as a young coach, you know, and then just getting to watch him interact with his staff and his players and all that other stuff too. That was huge. But, you know, same thing. Went around, took pictures of everything they had, the facility, the dining table, how things worked. Not just X and O's of strength and conditioning, but like everything in the program, as much as I could possibly get in, like where their training room was, you know, all the stuff as far as facility layout, what I liked about the facility. Cause then, you know, in the long run, like I've done a lot of facilities as a head strength coach. I mean, I've, I've you know, we did one at La Tech. Um, we did, uh, when I first got there, we replaced our, we replaced everything in the old car Malone weight room there at Rice. I did two, um, you know, with our football weight room. Then we had the, the Carl Isgren weight room that we got to redo. Um, in basketball. And then when I went to Iowa State, we kind of redid our football weight room and then we moved into the Bergstrom uh, weight room that was unbelievable. Uh, custom everything, I mean, custom racks, all that stuff. Um, and then at Houston, we got to redo some things on the floor. And then Texas, we've done um, a few. Uh, we've done one redo. We're in the middle of another one right now. So, you know, so when you go out and look at these things and see all these places and how flow works and how the weight room sets up, you know, it's it's crucial because you're going to have to do all that stuff as a head strength coach, let alone, you know, coach people. You can see people coach. You can see their philosophy. Uh, maybe they let you have some templates. Maybe they let you have some stuff that you can, you know, that you can use. Um, you know, it's like I, I talked to Coach Batson the other day, um, and he gave me some great uh, conditioning stuff. Uh and, that, you know, that's why he, he emailed it to me. And I said, well, I mean, you're not a good coach if you're not stealing. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know me back, you know, stealing, wheeling, and dealing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, there is no, uh, you know, there's no, there's no magic template or any of that stuff. And most of the stuff, if you really go back and look, it's it's been done before. So, don't act like you invented it, you know. And so, um, I think that's the ego stuff in this profession is it's, it's, um, it's too much. Uh, um, you know, like I said the other day, I mean, it's logo don't mean nothing. Logo don't mean nothing on your chest. As long as you're coaching, you're coaching, uh, and you're passionate about it, whatever, uh, you know, and paychecks come and go and salaries and all that junk. I mean, it is what it is. So, you know, 
Um, that's the stuff to me, I think, as a young strength coach. And I got a lot of that stuff coming up. I had to do a lot of it on my own as a head guy because I, I done I did a little bit more non-traditional because uh, I didn't, you know, GA straight out of college. I went to the private side, um, which I would suggest. Um, uh, I think I think it'd help you. I think it helps people in college because the one thing it did for me is when I was with the private side, I dealt with, you know, I deal with a hundred junior high kids, seventh grade, you know, I'll tell you this, you can coach a hundred seventh grade, you can coach anybody. <laughs> so, you know, and so it taught me how to deal with big groups, taught me how to, you know, manage the weight room, taught me how to, how to position myself in the weight room, uh, to never have my back, um, to athletes. And then the other thing too is, and I learned this from, my, you know, my teaching days, but also my wife's a teacher was, you know, she's always taught me three things, like keep your rules to threes, anything past three, they forget it. Uh, so, you know, it's be on time, great attitude, great effort. That's it. That's been my rules forever. Um, you know, and they're, and they're simple uh, and they apply everywhere staff and players there's no there is no gray area it's just this is what it is and it's for everybody uh and then it's also an attitude thing uh let alone expectations and then that was the other thing you know not expect not rules but expectations different terminology so you know i learned i learned a lot of that stuff not just from strength coaches you gotta as a strength coach you gotta take and steal all these ideas because you got to be a lot of different things. You got to be a jack of, uh, you know, jack of all trades at times. So, you know, I think um, when you go out and visit, um, there's many things you don't like when you go to a place, and you're going to say, I, "I could do that better," or whatever it is, whatever. It, that doesn't matter. It's, it's, you know, even with jobs, you're going to go to a job and you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something from a job. And if you say, well, I didn't learn nothing. Well, then you, you, you know, you need to get out of profession because, because you, 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 you don't get it. You either learn something good or bad, you know? And so if it's bad, then reflect on that when you're in that position or that, that, you know, you got the position of the head, head job or whatever it is. Don't do it. Don't repeat that same mistake. Um, or if there's something really good that you think you can make it a little bit better with your touch on it, great. Um, but uh, I would say from a young coach perspective, that's that's the things that I would I would highly suggest to all of them. Don't take spring break to go, you know, hang out, whatever. Go learn before, because when you have kids and you get older, you can't do it. <laughs> you can't. It's it's too hard because um, because you spend so much time away from your family that when you do get a break, you have to spend all your time. I mean, you have to because you have to maximize that time with them because they don't get much of it. So those days of me going and doing professional development are far and few between. I just you know. So then you got to rely on your staff, uh, the ones that you know are maybe younger or don't have families or whatever it is that are on your staff to go do that stuff. So that's, that's the things that are challenges. I think as a young coach though, that's, that's important because then it's not just going to a conference. If you go to a conference, everybody's got to go to the conference, you know, uh, everybody's got to go there. You, you make a, an actual choice to go to someone's 
place of work, their campus, their Taj Mahal, and pay homage to their program by showing up and, you know, hanging out, watching workouts, train, whatever it may be, lift with them, get in there, coach with them, who knows, whatever they want you to do. Um, but that's an impact on that, on the, on the staff there. I promise you, it always is. And that's how you truly develop relationships in the coaching profession. And then you hook up at the conference and all other stuff, but, uh, going to the conferences is, is you gotta go. Everybody's gotta go. So that's, that's nothing special. Um, but showing up at someone's place on their, their home, home turf and doing that, that's, that's impactful. Well, um, Best I can tell you, Ants, is, is first things first is thank you for being a mentor for me over the years. Um, and in saying that, like, just being you, uh, not being fake, not being something that people expect you to be, but just being you. I think the, the genuine, honest, authenticness of, of, of real people is what we miss. You said it earlier. You know, there's too much pride. There's too much arrogance in this field. Too many puffed out chests, you know, just – when you want just real, if I could have called this a little differently, I would have called it the real raw relevant coaching <laughs> podcast. Uh, I think that that's, that's what we miss. Uh, and I think that that's, if we had that, if that is really what this was, that's what this field was. We would, we would be in a much better place. Things would be a lot more organic and, and we would see staffs. I mean, you've had a very successful tree of, of coaches under you. Why? Because of who you are. And I think we would see that as a whole, a lot more successful coaches out there. And we talked about the mental uh, 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 fortitude component or the mental uh, um, the ability to really elongate that, that, that career. I think we would see coaching have a lot more longevity to what they are if that was the case. And there's a reason why you're still in it um, because of that. Well, I think too, I think, I think the, at times, the the profession would be taken more seriously too. Uh, I think as a as a as a overall, you know, football coaching side of it, things like that too. I think that would that would help our profession quite a bit. If, but it is what it is. Hopefully, we keep knocking away at it. Um, there's still a bunch out there that are good dudes. I mean, there's a oh, bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like any profession. You know, there's a bunch of good ones, and there's there's guys that are, you know, that are in it for themselves and and um, all about you know, whatever logo they got in their chest and all our stuff. So, but that's, that, that's why I'm excited to do this, to put this out there for people to see that, to hear this, um, yeah. that, that, that there is real and there's hope and there is, uh, uh, there's chances for those that do have the heart, they do have the mindset and they do have the will to, to do it. They just need to know what path they need to go. So thank you. Thank you again for today. Uh, I know we both will say that. Uh, and other than that, best of luck in this craziness. Yeah. Back to reality. Right. Thanks, Darius. Appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Nice to meet you, Joe. Well, you're the man, brother.